morning, church. I'm glad to be with you. Um, as you can see, sometimes uh, I forget things when we do things differently, but that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm thankful to be with you. We've been in a series that we've called Square One and just kind of trying to peel back uh, some of the distractions that maybe we picked up along the way and ask, like, what are the fundamentals? What is the foundation? What is the basis that we're going to build our faith on? And hopefully, um, seven weeks in, we, we are seeing clearly that all of our faith is based upon the work that Jesus has already done. So as we've been going through this, the first four chapters of this letter have very little to do with what we do and how we serve God um, and everything to do with how Jesus has done all the hard work and that our place at the table is a place of honor and it's a place that we did not earn. It's something that Jesus gave us as a gift. So, and that's our starting point. Our starting point for faith is Jesus, the work that he has done, um, not my failure to follow him, not my ability to repent good enough, not my uh, strength to serve him well and to avoid all the temptations that come my way. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So I'm, I'm hoping that message has come across so far. Um, and this morning I'd like to begin... Um, do you ever notice like when you're thinking about buying something, you suddenly see the thing you're thinking about buying all over the place? You're like, I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I should get that F-150 and suddenly every car on the road is an F-150 or um, you're, I don't know what else it could be. But like when we're, when we're considering something, suddenly we see it everywhere. And I feel like for me, as we've been going through this series, the thing that I've seen over and over and over again that's just standing out to me is stories of adoption which is a story that I'm actually not familiar with personally. I don't have personal experience with either adopting a child or, or being adopted. Um, but as I was reading, uh, the, this author, his name is Tony Merida. He shares this story about uh, his adoption process that I thought was fascinating and I thought was a beautiful place to start. Um, he says, when we put on Christ, when we build our life on Christ as square one, <clears throat> when we put on Christ, we put on a new Person, and he tells this story. After spending about 35 days in Ukraine in an effort to adopt our four children, my wife and I finally had permission to go home with them. All the legal work was done. We were eager to show them love in many ways, including cleaning them up and giving them some new clothes. They had been wearing the same smelly clothes and the same worn out shoes every day since we arrived. Once we had permission to leave, we brought them some brand new outfits. Kimberly took the older two, two children and I took the younger two. I told the girls via a translator, girls, you're going home. Little Victoria asked, forever? I said, yes, forever. And their faces lit up as I gave, then gave them their denim dresses, socks, shirts, and more. And they went into the bathroom and changed every garment. In their orphanage, upon leaving, the children had to leave behind every piece of clothing that they had been wearing. What a picture of the gospel. They put off their old orphanage garments and put on the clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, new identity, new home, new security, and a new way to live. As we begin to build our life on Christ, we take off the old clothes that we kind of came into naturally, and we begin to put on new clothes, signs that we belong to a new family, and, and, and signs of the riches of his mercy that he pours out on us. Um, 
As we continue, let's stop real quick and just pray together. And it's our habit to pray together to disciples' prayer. Words are on the screen if you'd like to pray out loud with me. I'd I'd love that. Um, But at the very least, let's bow our hearts together and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Excellent. Let's navigate together to Ephesians chapter 5, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And as you do so, I'll just remind you that we've been going through this letter. It was a letter written by a pastor who had started a church. Uh, back to that congregation that he'd been separated from for a number of years. And so as we come to this, we understand that we're reading somebody else's mail. It was not written to us, though it was written for our benefit, if you get my drift there. Um, and, um, and we're also in like the middle section of the letter. I've already told you a little bit about what came beforehand. But Ephesians chapter 5 in the Blue Bibles is on page 1219, um, if you want to navigate there. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 1, and I'm just going to start off with these first two verses, because I think uh, there's a lot here. Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore, in light of everything else we've already written, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, and sacrifice to God. So we'll, we'll, we'll pause right there. Um, be imitators. Therefore, if, if God has done, if Jesus has done all of this stuff on your behalf, if he's already paid the full debt, if he's already taken you who were far off and not only brought you near so that you could associate, but brought you into the family that he's making, then we should imitate God. Then we should imitate God as beloved children. We're now part of the family, which means now I'm going to imitate your habits and your patterns of living. I completely skipped the gist for you this morning. Uh, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as children. Walk in love as Christ gave himself up for us. So that's, I mean, there weren't a ton of words there to begin with, but like that's kind of the the big thrust of it, that we are to walk in love as Christ loved. You can see I even changed as I was working out my PowerPoint. I even changed what some of my emphases were. So walk as Christ as Christ loved. Walk in love as Christ loved. He loved by giving himself for us, making us part of his family. So our walk then, because the instruction here is to walk, our walk then is our pattern, our habits of living. It's the way that we we do life. It's an expression of our, our body so as, uh, as, the, as the scriptures command us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, our habits or our walk are an expression of our strength. How do we love the Lord with our strength, with our bodies? What we know 
shapes what we do. So if you're somebody who's skeptical about faith and this is the first like time you're like, I think I'll try church once and, and you're like, okay. And so you're watching this on YouTube and you're like, I don't, I, you've already lost me. Yeah, I get it. Like we're in the middle of the letter. And so what we know shapes what we do. We are in the section of the letter where he's going to be very specific about what we do, but that is informed by what we know. So, so really you're going to need to go back and read the first part of the letter. Um, maybe explore that. This isn't a great place to jump on if you're far from Christ. However, if you are following Jesus, then here are some action steps that we can take. How did Christ love? If we're going to walk in Christ as Christ loved, how is it that Christ loved? He laid himself down for us. The truth, the, the very word of God, the truth sat in a courtroom of people that he had breathed life into and quietly listened as they lied about his character and about the things that he said he, could, he had done and about his false claims. The very truth of God sat in a room where people lied about him and did not correct any of them because he knew that this was part of the plan for how he was going to win them. He was going to have to let them kill him in order to make a way back. So if we say we follow Jesus, like when, when I say, okay, I, I follow Jesus, there's, there's a whole segment of our, of our culture that's like, oh, cool, I like Jesus too. He's the one who came up with the golden rule or he's the one who reiterated the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they're like, cool, well, Jesus is just kind of this hippie guy, right? He's got long hair, he wears robes, um, he kind of does the peace sign everywhere he goes, right? Like that's how, like there's a character, caricature of Jesus. And yet, as we come to the scripture, and as we face what the love that Jesus is drawing us to, it is a love of self-sacrifice. He gave himself for us. And that's actually going to be the key to understanding the rest of everything else. We're going, to, we're going to have some hard words to work through together, but like this is the key. And I want us to grab this, and I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to come back to this at the end of the service here, and I'm going to come back to it again next week a couple of times because this is the foundation. If we're going to walk the path Jesus walked, we understand that that means unjust suffering at the hands of people that we love. Sorry. I wish I could make it easy. I wish I had a, like, take this and, 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 and all of your problems will go away. All your conflicts with your mother-in-law will be fine. Like, and I don't have it. But I have a character, a strength that says, God, I will go to sacrifice my body for the sake of those who do not yet know you and who are hostile to you and your ways. True love is seeing a need and meeting that need. Whether the person who has the need knows that they have the need or not, seeing a need and meeting a need and having no expectations of having a return. This isn't like, let me, let me scratch your back so that you can scratch mine later. This is just, no, 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 I see that you have a need. Allow me to meet that need and I don't need anything back from you. That's true love and that's what Jesus says. He says, hey, look, like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a way for you to come and if you still don't want to come this way, okay, I'm going to let you make that choice. Seeing a need and meeting a need without expecting anything returned. Sacrificing ourselves for someone else's best interest when they may or may not know what their best interest is. Right? I didn't mean for this to start off so heavy, but this is really heavy. I'm 
I'm not sorry, but I didn't mean for it to sound like this. Uh, walking with Jesus means we trust him when he warns of danger. Okay, I get the walking with Jesus thing. Like, you've already hammered that out. I'm really excited to do that this week, Mike. Thanks. <clears throat> but following Jesus or walking with Jesus means we trust him when he warns of danger. Well, what, what danger does he warn us with? Because I'm looking at this verse going like, I could probably get a tattoo of that. Like, you know, uh, be imitators of God, uh, walk in love as Christ loved. Like, I could probably get a tattoo of that. I have, I have a sticker on a coffee cup that says walk in love. There's a whole clothing company branded in that way, walk in love. And like, that's a message of the gospel, like walk in love. Like Jesus loved you and now you walk in love. Like that's a beautiful picture. But then we come to these next verses, which I don't think that we would get a tattoo of. Uh, I got to find it on the page, verse three. But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So uh, what's, what's the gist of what he's getting here? Um, all impurity must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthy talk nor joking, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You may be sure that everyone who is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom. Let no one deceive you. The wrath of God comes upon disobedience. So as I, as I kind of walk through that gist, as I'm trying to key in on what are like the, what, what's the, the basic message that he's trying to get across here, there's something that uh, you may feel like is missing. Because when I read that passage the first time, the thing that like was smacking me in the face was sexuality, wasn't it? Like, that was the thing that I was like, oh, we get to talk about sex on a Sunday morning. Like, I should have gotten a PG-13 notice before I walked in, right? And yet, I, th I think that that is a symptom of something that is actually a deeper heart issue. And so as I've gone through and tried to highlight the gist, I think the, 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 the main concern is, is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, idolatry um, is a huge emphasis throughout all of the Hebrew scriptures. It's, it's kind of incredible how often it comes up. And, and idolatry and humanity being created in the image of God um, is, is a point of fascination for me. In fact, I've tried to write two separate sermon series and, uh, on this topic. One was, in, one was in 2017, and it was awful. I won't even tell you the name because I don't want you to look it up. Um, because I wrote the thing, and then I had a baby, and so other people preached the thing that I wasn't even sure I quite understood how to articulate yet, and it was just a nightmare. So sorry about that. Um, but then we also did one that was just called Image in 2021, um, trying to take a look at what is the nature of our relationship um, to God as being created in his image, and what does it mean when I worship something other than God? Like, it's, it's, it's a huge thing. Um, and and it, the story of the Hebrew scriptures is fascinating. It doesn't try to prove that God exists. It just says God existed and he made everything. Like that's, that's it. Like he just made everything. And then humanity screwed up and was like, I don't really want 
I, I think I could do a better job. I would rather be like God than be made in the image of God. So I'm going to try to do your job. And that doesn't go well because now we've got conflict in the relationship. And the rest of the story is God showing up to people who knew about him in the past and introducing himself as, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm the God who created everything. I'd like to have a relationship with you. Like over and over, every chapter, every page you turn, it's like, I'm the God that's been doing things in the world. Like, I would like to talk with you. And, and people are like, ah, no, 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 no. I'm the God that would like, and we go a couple more generations. I'm the God. So we start with Abraham, who, who Abram, who was probably just a, a pagan, like probably wasn't doing anything to follow God. And suddenly the creator of the universe shows up and says, hey, I know that you think you've been worshiping other gods, but what I need you to do is I need you to trust me and me alone. And you're going to have to move and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, okay, cool. Like, I guess that's what we're doing now. I'm a monotheist. And he just does it, which is crazy. But then he's got, over and over again, he's got to come to his children. And when he comes to his children, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God who took you out of Egypt. I'm the God who, I'm the God of David. Like, he's always reminding people, I'm the one who's been active in history this whole time. Like, would you please just stay in relationship with me? Please. It's what I'm trying to do here. And so finally, he sends Jesus. He's like, this is the way that I'm going to communicate what my character is like. I'm going to put him on the earth, and he's going to walk, and he's going to follow me. And I'm going to communicate clearly what I am like through the life of Jesus. Cool, finally. I got something easy to wrap my head around. Except that Jesus isn't really easy to wrap our head around, is it? Like, like I don't know about you. If you think you understand Jesus, then I just invite you to read the Sermon on the Mount again. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Um, because every time I think that I know what's going on with my faith, I read that, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, this is all, we'll start it over again. Okay. <sighs> that was all a digression from idolatry being a huge thing. God's, God shows up to a group of people and says, hey, I'm, I'm the one true God. I'm the one who made everything, and I want to be in relationship with you. I want to dwell with you. So I'm going to make you a special people, and you guys are going to have parties every, every couple of months to remember all of the things that I've been doing with you. And I just need you, all I need you to do, I just need you to worship me. Just me. Just me. Can you and me just be in a relationship? You and me and all your kids. Like, I just want to be in a relationship with you. And they're like, yeah, but I heard about this other God that, like, if I have sex with that temple prostitute, then maybe my crops will grow better. That sounds like a better deal to me. And he's like, no, that's not what I want you to do. I just want you to have a relationship with me. I made sex and I want it to fit in a certain kind of way. He's like, yeah, but like, I don't know if I trust you so much. Like, maybe I can trust this other thing that feels like I have more control and I just want to have more control. And can you just give me more control? He's like, you're not the God of the universe. I don't think I can trust you with more control. And that's the story of humanity. So it's a huge emphasis. And I think it's the root problem where humanity was made in the image of God and then was tempted with the, the, the promise that we could not only be made in God's image, but we could be like God. Like, I could take God's place. But I'm already God's image. Like, the idol that Jesus, or that God set up in creation was humanity. If the idol is a representation of the deity on earth, the, the idol that, that God made in creation was us. And this is why I can't, like, write an actual sermon series about it, because I can't, like, I, I've got that, and I'm like, oh, my brain is not working now. I don't know what to do with some of this, except that maybe, like, we should follow him. Like, maybe we should listen to him when he warns us of danger. So he says, um, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness might not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be 
Thanksgiving, and yet we still tend to turn our attention and our focus to an idol or something that uh, we think is going to give us more satisfaction than following Jesus. So we'll talk about sex then. What is sexual immorality? Um, And actually, it's easier to tell you what sexuality is than to define sexual immorality. So I'm going to give you, and we can... There are going to be caveats. We're going to have questions. I can't in just, you know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes, depending on how rambly I'm getting, um, go through every single caveat and answer every single question. So let me give you a definition of what sexuality is, what the design is for it, and then we can just say everything that's not that is probably immorality, okay? So sexuality uh, or sexual immorality is all sexual activities between people who are not married to one another. Sexual immorality is all sexual activities between people who are not married to one another. So this includes adultery. This includes rape. This includes extramarital affairs or extramarital intercourse. Uh, This includes pornography of any variety, hetero, homo, asexual, bisexual, pansexual, like any variety. Sexual immorality is all sexual activities between people who are not married to one another. That's how God made it to work. He said, sex is a thing I want you to enjoy within the confines of marriage. And so marry somebody and explore that with them. And anything else is not the way that I meant for things to work. You'd be like, okay, well, what if I marry multiple people? Like, oh, okay, well, that's a category of things. And there's something that's interesting to me that we as modern people would like frown at. Why would you marry multiple people? But we'll sleep with multiple people as long as we don't have to get married to them. And it's the same concept with less legal protections for one another. And I feel like there's not a lot of wisdom in that, but that's a different diatribe. So Jesus, so that's sexual immorality. But where do we draw that line? Like, what do I, well, like, where do I draw these lines? How do I know how to navigate this world that is just so overly sexualized? What do I do? Well, let me just say that Jesus will go even farther than what you do with your body, and he will go so far as to draw the line at lust, which is something that happens in your internal being. Like, you don't even have to touch anybody for you to have committed adultery as far as Jesus is concerned. It's about what's going on in your mind. And now we stand before the throne of God, guilty. He says that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, in case you want to do your homework. But the issue is idolatry. It's thinking that if I can go outside of what God told me is good for me, then maybe I'll find something better out there. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe Maybe there's a better way to express these feelings that I have of myself. And God says, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think you're going to find what you're looking for on the path that you're following down. And so I'm asking you to please worship me and me only. So we've got sexual immorality. We've got impurity, which is another big emphasis in in the Hebrew Testament, Um, cleansing and, and, and clean and unclean and things like that. And we also have covetousness, which is something that we don't really like to talk about. But let me just tell you on the front end of the holiday season that covetousness is something that should not be named among us of looking at other people's stuff and being like, I want that, like I want those things, and I, I'm, I'm jealous that they have them and I don't have them, and why are they better than me because they've got the things, the toys that I want, and I'm just saying, it's there. Now, it doesn't matter what people say about these topics. Do not be deceived. God will not overlook these things. In verse 6, 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So let's, let's not think that like, oh, well, you know, Mike's here on a Sunday morning and he's got a collared shirt on and he's went to Bible school and he knows some stuff and so he's going to tell us that we're wrong. Like, fine, like you can take it or leave it, but I'm saying that in the end, of, in the end when we come face to face with the Creator, this is not something that he overlooks or that he takes lightly. This is something that he's really serious about. It's kind of frustrating. Um, not frustrating. It's kind of intimidating to consider. But to walk. So it must not even be named among us, which I, is a challenging thing. Like, it's one thing to just not do it. Like, okay, I'm not a part of that lifestyle. I don't hang out. I'm not, I'm not doing that with those people, or I'm not. Inter- but what are we entertained by? What is named among us? And is it full of the same stuff that the world is entertained by? Are we, are we getting by in our hearts by, by not actively participating in the things, but really enjoying watching everybody else do it on TV? Should not be so. Must not even be entertained. And to walk, so he's like, okay, well, gosh, man, like I just feel, I feel defeated now. But to walk in purity in these matters is to walk in love. Like, that's the foundation of what we're starting. If you want to follow Jesus' path in order, to walk, uh, in order to walk in love, then these are things that we avoid. So my, uh, my decision not to participate in pornography, either making or viewing, is an act of love for the people who would be tempted to be a part of that, to, to compromise themselves for those kinds of things. To choose not to sleep around is an act of love to the people that I would be taking advantage of and be damaging emotionally. We think it's all about being stodgy and like, oh no, you're just a Puritan and you don't ever get to have any fun. It's not that. Have as much fun in your bedroom with your spouse. That's the way it was meant to work. And that's good. In fact, God said it was very good, but... When we take it outside of there and we try to make gods of it is when we fall. So um, what do we need to make a break with? And that's a lot. It's very specific, right? What do, what do we need to make a break with? What do I need to make a break with? What apps need to come off my phone? What limits need to be put on my phone? What do I need to unsubscribe from? It's not that we go out seeking these things. We kind of trip into them, and then we've got the subscriptions, and the subscriptions just kind of drag us along. And I didn't ever mean to watch Netflix for 12 hours straight, but here I am, because I'm still subscribed, and I was bored, right? What do we need to make a break with? Because walking with Jesus means we trust him when he warns us of danger. He says, this is dangerous. This will not be good for you. And so please, listen to me when I tell you these things are dangerous and must not even be named among you. Let's, let's read a little bit more in verse 7. Therefore, so in light of all of those things, therefore do not become partakers with them. Uh, them referring to the sons of disobedience, the people whose pattern of life is those things. Therefore, do not become partakers or partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, um, just as a gist, this is a fascinating sentence to me. Like, I I don't think I'd ever, like, really read this, and I wonder if, like, perhaps this would be an awesome tattoo also. You were darkness, but now you are light. What? That's incredible. You were darkness, but now you are light. So walk as light. Duh. Be who you are. Okay. And discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, I guess that makes sense. If, if daddy adopted me and now I'm part of his family, then, then perhaps I should try to figure out what makes him happy. Take no part in works of darkness, but expose them. For when anything is exposed, it becomes light. Now, I just want to say this is the gist, and so this is not like everything that the text says, but there is a, a logical order to what he's saying here that I think is is fascinating. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So he says A equals B and B equals C. So A equals C is what I've done, right? It's a a logical progression. Um, when, When anything is exposed, it becomes light. See, the darkness only has power if there is no light. I don't know if you've thought about that. It's one of my favorite things to tell people is that there is no dark bulb. Darkness only has power when light is not in the room. How do you make a room darker? You block out the light. There is no source for darkness. There There is no power in darkness. It is only the absence of what actually has power, which is light. And you were darkness. You were dead in your trespasses and your transgressions. And now you are light. You've been made alive with Christ. It's not by uh, works that anybody could boast, but it's by grace you have been saved. You are light. So walk as you are. And as you walk into dark places, guess what? You light it up. Call the spade a spade. That's not the way you're supposed to do things. I don't say that to judge you. I'm saying like you're going to cause yourself more heartache if you continue there. You are hurting people with your behavior. Please stop. I care about them. And you can think I'm judgy all you want. I'm just saying that these things are not for your benefit or for the benefit of the people that you say you love. And that's a really hard posture to strike in in a culture where we really just can't receive any kind of nuance. If you disagree with me, then I hate you. You're canceled. (sighs) That's not the way we learned Christ. Christ entered in (laughs) to our weakness. He became flesh. Infinite creator of the universe took on a body. Humbled himself to be born to a blue-collar worker who, who was already shunned by his family so that they put him in a place of dishonor at the family reunion. Like God of the universe! In a stable. Exposing darkness robs it of power. There is no source for darkness. So when you turn the light on, the darkness flees. It doesn't matter how big the light is. The darkness can't stand in front of it. 
Jesus redeems our natural desires and habits. They're not an indication of who he means for us to be. What we were before Jesus is not an indication of who he means for us to be in him. And we become accountable for the things that we learn. So as we learn things and as we learn what is pleasing to the Lord, then now we are accountable to those things. Like there's, there's some sense of like, I, I, I hesitate to tell people what the Bible says about things because then they will know. And they will no longer be able to say, well, I'd never heard that. Because I, I, I told you. I told you that's what it says. And then you had to make a choice about what you do with it. So what do we need to shine a light on? Like, here's, here's what's challenging for me is I'm like, okay, don't do the works of darkness. Got it. Okay, Jesus is purifying my heart, so all those heart issues, like, all oh, that's good. Cool. The world is dark, so I can just let it be. Not my problem. Not my monkeys, not my circus. And Jesus is like, it's your circus, bud. Shine a light on it. So what do we need to shine a light on? Now, hear me. Check your own eyes first. Jesus says, uh, warns in Matthew 7, those people who are going to be real quick to point out all the problems in everybody else's life, the first process of pointing out sin in somebody else's life is examining yourself first. Do that. Spend some time with the scriptures in a mirror before you go to somebody else. But then, will we be gracious to receive light from others? I was reminded of a phrase I used to say a lot and haven't said in a while, but I said it this week. I've never seen my own face. I'm actually probably the worst person to evaluate what I look like. Jessie's in a much better position to know what my face looks like. So when she tells me, you got a thing. I'm like, what do you mean I got a thing? How dare you? How dare you tell me I got a thing? Like, I don't have a thing. I don't feel a thing. I'm not. And she's so gracious. Mike, I'm looking at your face. You got a thing. Just wipe it off. <clears throat> Will we be gracious to receive light from others? And that's part of why we read James uh, chapter 1 and, and verse 23. Um, when we come to the word of God, we come and we look at it. And if we walk away without, without being doers of the word, we're like a man who looked in the mirror and then immediately forgot what the thing was that was on his face and didn't deal with the actual problem. So let's not be hearers of the word only, but also doers of the word. And what's fascinating to me about that passage in particular is that it, he's, he ties it to what he calls the law of liberty. I'm like, liberty, America, here we come. Like the liberty, I got freedom. You can't tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. But he's telling us what to do and saying that it's consistent with the law, the, the constraints of liberty. And maybe... Life within the confines of what Jesus has said is true and good and pure is actually the biggest freedom that we could enjoy. And maybe by stepping outside of that, we enslave ourselves to something that really cares nothing for us and just wants to kill us. Maybe. What do we need to shine a light on? Because walking with Jesus means we trust him when he warns us of danger. So then, that's a lot of negativity. And, and I typically, when I talk with people, I want to start with something that's good and move to something that we need to correct, and then I'll sandwich that with something that's good again, maybe on my best days. But, but Paul here is just like, nope, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. But he's going to pull it up here. We got it. We're going to take off here. We're, we're going somewhere. So look with me at uh, verse 15. 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So then, look carefully, walk carefully, as if you were wise. Now, if you're like me, I spend a whole lot of time pretending that I'm wise and really hoping that God fills in the gaps. So, walk, look carefully how you walk as wise. Do not be foolish, got it, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in spiritual melody, giving thanks always and submitting to one another. Again, as we try to figure out how we walk out these principles of love, it's fascinating to me how quickly it goes back to the way that we talk. It's talking about what we do, and we're not, we're not going to walk like the Gentiles anymore, and we're going to remove ourselves from that darkness, and we're going to live as light. And part of that, the first thing you should probably know is it's how we talk to one another, addressing one another in spiritual melody, spiritual songs, like like reciting lyrics to one another, which as a musician, like I get excited about that. But as, as a worship leader is challenging to me because our songs are not just for Sunday mornings. Like our songs are, are the scripts that we should be able to use with one another in every season that we face. And so if all of our songs are just about how um, uh, Jesus loves me and I feel great, well, on days that I don't feel great, like I'm like, okay, well, Jesus still loves me, but that song kind of gets on my nerves. So there was a, a time a number of years ago where I introduced a song and it was when I was just leading worship. I wasn't the, the pastor here. Um, I was just leading worship and I was like, hey, you guys are not going to like this song, but you're going to need it. And it's our song in the night. Um, in the darkness, can you hear us? Um, when the night comes, are we alone? That's real fun to sing on Sunday morning. <laughs> like, Mike, we've been singing this song for five weeks. Like, I'm ready to jump off a bridge. Can we stop now? It's like, no, 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 we're going to need this. We're going to need this. And in those dark times, when those things came, there were several people that came to me and was like, hey, thank you for that song. Like, when I got into this, this valley here, that song was waiting for me. I was ready for that dark time because I knew that my soul would not be quiet, that, he, that I would cling to the Lord in those dark places, and I was ready for it. Our songs and what we do on a Sunday morning, this gathering and celebrating actually matters for how we're going to live out the rest of our lives. It's not just me because y'all are going to forget like my key principles and you're going to forget my application questions, but the melodies we're going to take with us, we're going to remember that for a long, long time. And so as we address them, we should be speaking truth. And whether you sing good or not, you could probably remember the lyrics. So Take care in how you walk. We, uh, we went to Kentucky, um, which was delightful. We went and we explored the Red River Gorge, which was fantastic. I don't know if you've ever been. It's fascinating. It's a great, uh, there are several great national parks there. And what I love about it is like, um, there's these trails, but it's not actually trails. It's just kind of like a general path that you walk through and, and really, really minimal uh, like structures. So like, Nothing to stop you from falling off a cliff. Like, it just feels like you're in nature. And I loved it. 
except that I had six small children with me. And they love running down the trail. And so we're running literally on top of a mountain next to a 150-foot cliff. And they're like, ah, Dad, look at me. So this is a picture from that trip. We all obviously made it there and back again. But it was, it was incredible. But it was like there were times where like, you have to look careful how you walk. There is a literal cliff there. You are actually, actually physically inches from death. And I don't know how you communicate that to a child. Edmund did not care at all. But there's a bliss there of like, oh, yeah, we're going to It's cool. But like, he's just saying, hey, hey, walk carefully. Like, there's a danger here. I want you to be aware of the danger. So walk carefully. Walk as wise. Like, don't just go barreling down the trails. Like, you, you cling to the side of the cliff for a little bit until we get around this, okay? Like, just slow down a little bit, just a little bit. That gravel actually is really, really dangerous. Like, let's stop playing with it. So then we became the bad guys, right? Because we're constantly, no, 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 wait. But actually what we were doing was trying to preserve life. So if we come to a passage like this and we just get so fixated on what God has taken off the table for us, we're like, well, God, you're mean. Like, why would you take that away from me? I want to go do that. I want to run near that cliff. I want to slide on that gravel. I want to push my brother here and not, not over there where it's a little bit safer. I want to climb on this tree that's dangling over no. Shall we focus on all of the fun that we've lost in our surrender to Jesus, or are we to turn and give thanks for all of the life that we have gained? Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. As we, as we take off the garments of sin, the, the heavy filthy, controlling, manipulative clothing of sin, and we dress in the light and the free clothes and the robes of our gracious Father who loved us and sent our Son on our behalf, we'll be, be sad that we've left those garments behind. Or we look in the face of our Father and say, forever? We get to go home Forever? And so we submit to one another as a true family would. Not like, not like a bunch of people that are kind of like Cold War roommates. You, have you had a roommate that you had a Cold War with? I'm, I did, for sure. You're just like, we, we exist within the same space, but there is no relationship here. Like Cold War, like that's not Jesus' picture of the church. It says you guys are submitting to one another out of, out of reverence for Christ. The, the passage that we love to preach at... at um, at weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, is not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not proud, is not rude. Like all of that stuff that we tell people as they're getting married, like, hey, remember this, you're going to need this, oh, it's going to get rough. But that passage was written not for married couples, but for the church. Love is patient, love is kind to the person on the other pew. Does not envy, does not boast to the person at the door. That's... Christ's picture of the church. We submit to one another as a true and loving family, not as cold war roommates. If you want to learn more, Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week specifically. But it's not just, um, it's not just turning away from the darkness, but it's putting on the light. Are we turning to light as we break with the darkness? I, I asked 
earlier, like what do we need to break from? What do we need to break from? What do we need to get out of our life? But if you just empty your life, like your life hates a vacuum. When have you ever had just free time? It gets filled with something. So are we turning to light as we break with darkness? Does that mean that you just you got to go to church more? You got to just listen to sermons all the time, especially mine. Like, what is it? What do we fill our lives with? No, it's not that. It's that are we walking together in love? Are we building relationships as a family? Are we sharing our ups and downs with one another? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks and always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, I think if a community got that, that we might stand out a little bit. And there might be some people that say, you know what, maybe that Jesus guy, like, changes lives. Because I didn't grow up like that. And I didn't have anybody that cared for me like that. And those people don't even know each other. And look at how much they're willing to give for one another. So are we turning to light as we break with darkness? Let's pray. God, we're grateful to be your kids. Um, and Lord, sometimes we're, we're hesitant to acknowledge our immaturities. We want to play sometimes with the things that you say are going to hurt us. So Lord, would you help us to trust you? God, would you give us understanding where we need understanding, but Lord, where it becomes a dark fascination, Lord, would you deliver us out of that? God, I, I don't mean for these verses to be proclaimed in a way that's going to lead to legalism that says if we don't do good, then you're not going to be happy with us. You've already done all the work. As we look at what it means to live within this new family that you're making, God, would you, um, would you be the one who's guiding and directing our conscience? There's lots of voices in our head. Would you be the one who's guiding and directing our conscience? And would you help us to trust you? When you say there's danger, and also when you say there's life, We want to honor you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.